All right, how's everybody doing? I saw your kids all dressed up, running over to the children's ministry. Um, they look super cute. Um, my kids, uh, they looked really cute, but they didn't even care what they looked like. All they were talking about is like, Papi, are we going to get candy? And then, can we eat the candy like right away? And I'm like, what's the, what's the rush? No, we want to eat it right away because their mom like makes them wait. There's actually, she like hides candy. I'm going to tell you a little bit more about this. But like all over my house is like drawers and there's like candy in there because she doesn't want the kids to be more hyper than they really are. Um, who here loves candy? Anybody here a candy lover? You know, you hide it under your pillow. Anybody hides it under their pillow? You back there? Shame on you. Um, uh, what about chocolate? Who's like, oh, I'm just such a... Chocolate. You know what? I'm not a candy lover. I love bubble gum. I, I, I really do. Um, and my wife hates the fact that I love bubble gum. She says that uh, I make too much noise when I chew it. You know, and every time she tells me that, you know, I could tell. Like, I'm driving in the car. She doesn't say anything. But all of a sudden, like, she stops breathing. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, no. She's mad or I'm opening my mouth too wide. And I'm like, babe, you just got to open your mouth because when you open your mouth, you get all the juices flowing around and stuff. You know what? Let's try it. You got, anybody want bubble gum? Yeah. All right, bubble gum. Let me have it. Ah, all right, good catch, huh? So uh, who wants... There's nothing better than double bubble, right? You want... You want... You want here. Ah. All right, who else wants bubble gum? Whoa. Uh, you know, I tried that in the last service and it went the wrong way, but let's see, let's see. Who's the, you know what? Throw some gum back there. All right, Brandon, throw some gum back there. Pedro, Pedro, you want gum? Parent-child room, you guys want gum over there? Here you go. All right. And here's the last. Bill, please pick all of it up after, all right? So... I love bubble gum, and uh, every time I go to Publix, actually, I, uh, I, I, I buy a pack of bubble gum. I grab it, and I throw it down the line, and here's the problem. By the time I get home, I forget that I bought bubble gum, and so, you know, because when I get home, then it's my job to take everything out of the car and, and bring it in the house, and while I'm bringing all the groceries in, my wife is packing everything, and since she hates the fact that I like bubble gum. Guess what she does? She goes for the bubble gum first. And she has this secret drawer where she puts the bubble gum in. All right? A drawer that I knew nothing about. And it would be like the next day at work, you know, I have like a pizza or something. And then I'm like, man, you know, my breath stinks. I need some bubble gum. Right? And so, oh, I don't have gum. Where's that gum? Didn't I buy gum yesterday? And, and this has been going on for you. We've been married, what, eight years? All right? And, and now, um, the other day, I found out about the secret drawer. And here's how I found out. I walk out of my room and there's this trail of bubblegum wrappers. All right. And I'm following the bubblegum wrappers. Where is this stuff coming from? All right. And, and it leads all the way to the bottom of my dining room table. And as I look under my dining room table, there is my three-year-old son, Joshua, with about 15 pieces of gum in his mouth. All right. He's eating all this gum. He's got like blue saliva coming down his face and I'm like Joshua what are you doing and he's like as best as he can like some of you right now that you know you have probably like five pieces of gum in your mouth he's like this is so good you know and I'm like where'd you get that 
And he said, come here, come here. And he walks me to the secret drawer. And when we open the secret drawer, I'm like, oh, my goodness. This is like gum that I bought like two months ago. You know, I really wanted that like popsicle, orange, creamsicle, whatever. Or, or the other gum that I bought was that like ice cream, chocolate chip, mint gum. And, and so I buy all these weird gums and I, and I never get to try them out because my wife hides them from me. And uh, ever since that day, my son Joshua now has the same problem that I have that we love bubble gum. So every time he sees a pack of bubble gum, he puts like three or four pieces in his mouth. And his mom's not happy about that. And she's like, we got to limit it to like one or two pieces a week. And I'm like, babe, don't you think that's a little drastic? She's like, honey, you know, I don't want them to get cavities and stuff. And I'm like, okay, whatever. And so the other day, I get home from work. And, um, you know, when they hear me open the door, they run up to me. And, and so I open the door and Joshi runs up to me and he's like, Papi, can I have gum? Can I have gum? And I'm like, yeah. And so I walk over to the secret drawer that's not a secret anymore. And I give him a piece of gum. And as soon as I give him the piece of gum, he runs over to my bedroom where my wife is with my little daughter. And he's like, ha ha, mommy, papi gave me gum. And at that moment, I want to find like the Harry Potter cloak and just like disappear and not be a part of what's about to happen because I knew that I was about to get in trouble. You see, this little rascal came running up to me to get what he wanted And he caused some conflict between me and my wife. You see, my wife Leilani had a plan. She had a vision for what she wanted. And Joshua came along and caused division. You see, some mothers back there are probably saying, you know what, some of that same stuff has happened to me. You know, and here's the thing. All of us at one point or another in our life have gone through this, have experienced something very similar to this and maybe it's even more serious than a three-year-old asking for some gum for some of you what happened in your life divided your family it was something that cost you your marriage something that cost you your business an event that shattered all of your hopes and your dreams you see you set this course You had this clear view of where you wanted to go. You had a plan for where you wanted to take your family, where you wanted to get as a businessman, as a professional, of how you wanted to maybe raise your kids and what city you wanted to live in. And something came in and ruined this vision that you had for your life. But I have good news for you. God has a vision for your life. And that's the first filling in your outline. God has a vision for your life. Jeremiah 29:11 says this, "For I know the plans I have for you," declares the Lord. "Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future." What an amazing verse. I love that verse. That's like one of my favorite verses that like I've ever read is that man God cares about me so much that he has a plan for me. And this is something that was written thousands and thousands of years and way back when God had a specific plan for your life. And if God has a plan for your life, the next feeling is that the devil he wants to bring division for your life. God wants to give you a vision and the devil wants to bring division into your life. John 10.10 10 says this, The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. And I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. You see, it's not a surprise 
to our enemy, to the thief, that God wants to do amazing things in the life of every Christian. He knows that. And as soon as we decide, you know what, I want to follow Jesus, God's plan takes place in our life. The vision that God wants us to achieve, we're on that track and he will try whatever he can to divide us. He will try whatever he can to break us up. See, the devil knows that God wants to do amazing things in your life. And so he will use his number one weapon, division, to stop it. And that's what we're going to be talking about today as we continue in our series that we're calling Blueprint. A series where we're taking an in-depth look at the life and the vision of a great man, a great leader, Nehemiah. See, Nehemiah was actually a guy that this guy had it made. This guy had it all. He lived in the capital of the world. I mean, he pranced around in lavish palaces wearing the finest clothes. He was an assistant to the king. He was the type of guy, you know, that some of us, we go to high school with people and we're like, hey, how's this guy doing? And you hear about what they're doing and you're like, man, he's doing well for himself. He's made something of himself. He has a good name. He's doing something good and he's comfortable. That is Nehemiah. That's a picture of Nehemiah, especially in comparison to the rest of the Israelites. This guy was, was living good, living comfortably. However, God had a vision for his life. God had big plans for him. Plans that were actually even a lot greater than what we've been learning of him building a wall. Yeah, that was part of the vision. But God's vision was even greater than that. God's plan for his life was so much bigger than that. And we learned in chapter 7 that finally the wall was built. That gate was hung. And you know what? People said it was impossible. People made fun of him. People said he couldn't do it. When he was on his way to build the wall and he's going through different kingdoms, people are saying, there is no way that he can do this. He's not qualified to do this. And you know what God did to all of those people that were mocking him? He shut them up. And the wall was built in 52 days. In 52 days, that wall was built. And you know why? Because with God, all things are possible. But God's plan for Nehemiah was so much greater than brick and mortar. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. Nehemiah chapter 8, starting in verse 1. If you would turn there with me. Nehemiah 8, starting in verse 1. Begin reading. Now all the people gathered together as one man in the open square. It says, all people gathered together as one man in the open square that was in front of the water gate. And they told Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men and women, and all who could hear with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. Then he read from it in the open square that was in front of the water gate from morning until midday before the men and women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. So Ezra the scribe stood before, stood on a platform of wood which he had made, which they had made for the purpose. And beside him at his right hand stood, and here's a bunch of weird names, Mattathiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah. And at his left hand, jot these down, you may be having kids later, Pedadiah, Misael, Malachijah, Hashem, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Mesulam. All right. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, check this out, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. 
And all the people answered, Amen and Amen, while lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Let's say it all together. Amen Amen. and Amen. Amen. You stop there. Give me your attention. What we're seeing here is we're actually seeing an entire nation that has come together and is standing in awe in the presence of their God. They're full of pride right now because they serve the greatest God ever. He did what man said was impossible. He did it. All right. And, and they're just overwhelmed in gratitude and overwhelmed in joy. Another thing that we're seeing is we're seeing a people that is united. We see a, a group of people that were scattered, defeated for over a hundred years, standing in unison, worshiping as one man, like it said in the first verse. Worshipping in unison, raising their hands in unison, bowing their heads in unison. You see, while Nehemiah was rebuilding the wall outside, God was rebuilding his people from the inside out. You see, God always reveals himself in the midst of visions he has authored. And, the same, and that's the same way that he wants to see his church united as one people, the same way that Israel was brought together, he wants his people, he wants Christians to be united. You see, we're God's people. And God wants his church to be united today. We are all on the same team. Have you ever seen a professional sport team that's not united? A professional team that's playing basketball or football or baseball and they're just not all on the same page? Have you ever seen a team like this like win the World Series or, or win the NBA Finals or win the Super Bowl? No. And for those of us that we live here in Florida, we call Miami our home or South Florida our home, we have a front row seat to a team that is divided, a team that is not united. Our Miami Dolphins. All right? And I'm not a Dolphin basher. I'm a Dolphin fan. I've been a Dolphin fan, a loyal fan since 1985. All right, and here's the reason why. That's the year that they went to the Super Bowl against the 49ers. And it wasn't because I knew anything about football. All I knew was like, you know, it was a brown, like, sphere ball, you know, made of, like, pig hide. That's, I, that's probably all I knew. But here is where my loyalty to the team came from. It was 1985, the day before the Super Bowl, and I'm playing my Atari, and my mom walks in. And it's like, Marquito, vamos para Daimo. All right, I'll translate that. It's Marquito, let's go to Fabulous Diamonds. All right, and... And those of you that have been living down here for a while, there was a store called Diamonds on 49th Street in Hialeah. And, and my mom comes in, and I love diamonds, all right, because I loved shopping when I was a little kid. And, and I went there, and for like a nickel, you could get a, a little toy. And so for like a buck, I would get all these little things. And so I didn't even know why we were going. And on the way there, my mom's like, oh, the, the Dolphins are going to the Super Bowl and all this stuff. And so we bought all this Dolphins gear and we decked out our car and my mom didn't know that much about football either she just wanted to be part of the parade on 49th street all right and so we jumped in the car and we're like beeping and and you know and it was awesome and then you know what happened joe montana broke my heart all right Uh, i met a guy in the last service that said that was the day that i became a 49ers fan and then i told someone to hold me back you know (laughs) and hey i've been watching the dolphins lose year after year but i've never seen What I saw last week, a team completely divided, a team that was not united from the front office to the back office. You know what they did last Sunday at uh, Landmine Stadium or whatever it's called now? All right. Um, They threw a celebration for the quarterback 
of the opposing team before the game. There's, let's throw this giant party for the guy that has come here to beat us. I don't know about you, but that's an organization that's divided. See? And the entire world was probably looking at Miami last weekend and laughing harder than they've ever laughed. Laughing harder than they laughed the Sundays that they lose. Because they're saying, these people have lost it. They've lost their passion. They're no longer one team. They're no longer united. How many times does the world look at us, Christians, and say the same thing? The family of God, divided. See, unity is so important. The unity in God's church is so important that the New Testament actually gives more attention to unity in the body of Christ than it gives to heaven or to hell. You see, it's God's deepest desire that we experience oneness and harmony with each other. You know that Jesus, in his final moments, when he was praying right before they came and arrested him, he was praying to God that we would be united. Not just the church in his day, but the church forever and ever. And let's read this verse. It says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. If you stop there, give me your attention. Nothing in this world is more valuable to God than his church. Nothing is more important to God than us, than his people. And how do we maintain unity in the church? And and that's the first thing that I want to answer today. How do we maintain unity in the church? The first thing that we need to do is we need to not sweat the small stuff. Don't sweat the small stuff. Romans 14 says this, So let us concentrate on the things which make for harmony and on the growth of one another's character. Let's focus on what we have in common, not on our differences. You know, as Christians, we share one God. We share one body, one purpose, one Father, one Spirit, one hope, one faith, one baptism, one love. We share the same salvation, the same life, and the same future. And I don't know about you, but but these facts are so important to me as a follower of God that there is nothing that I could experience that would want me to bring disunity to the body of Christ. To say, hey, you know what? I don't want anything to do with you because if you're a follower of Jesus, if you are part of the body of Christ, then we are one. And God's unity is so much greater. God's greatness is so much greater than any difference that we can have. You see, just because we can't see eye to eye doesn't mean that we can't walk hand in hand. You know, last Saturday, I actually experienced one of the most memorable weekends that I've ever had with my family. And no, we weren't in Disney World. We weren't in a theme park. We weren't in a slip and slide somewhere. We actually spent the entire day just serving God. Me, my wife, and my three kids. In the morning, we spent the morning in an orphanage. And in the afternoon, we spent the afternoon feeding the homeless. But the moment uh, where where I, I will cherish this moment for the rest of my life is we're at uh, His House Children's Home. And I think there's some... 
people from his house here today, some kids that call Calvary their home. Welcome. And uh, this is a, a, an orphanage that, that we're, we're very involved with. And uh, I was there, and they were having a prayer walk, and we were praying for different buildings there. And it's a huge property, and it was hundreds of people just walking and praying and stopping and praying. They were asking local pastors to pray for the different buildings. And, and there was this moment, and I'm pushing this double stroller. My wife is pushing uh, Stella, our baby, and, and a house where these, you know, a group of kids that live in a house all together. It's like we were surrounded by like 20 kids. And it was us and like 20 kids and then the crowd. And um, I looked at my wife and both of our eyes just swelled up and like a tear came down our cheek. And we didn't talk. Uh, you know, we were just like really overwhelmed um, to be at that moment and, and what was happening with our kids. And, and uh, when we got in the car, I said, babe, why were you crying? And she's like, why were you crying? And, and, uh, and I'm like, you know, I just realized how blessed we are. And I realized how much time we spend sweating the small stuff when we really don't have any problems. You know, these kids have been abandoned by their family, by the people that were supposed to take care of them the most, love them the most. The people that were supposed to love them, hurt them, abuse them, lie to them, abandon them. And, 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 and we, like, are arguing about how many sticks of gum our kid can eat, you know? Um, and the same way, God looks at us, and, and he's like, you know, don't sweat the small stuff. You have so much so many amazing blessings, things that you have in common. Don't sweat the small stuff. The second thing that we need to do is we need to choose to encourage, not criticize. Romans 14.10 says, Why then criticize your brother's actions? Why try to make them look small? We shall all be judged one day, not by each other's standards or even our own, but by the standard of Christ. Let's stop wasting our time criticizing people. And if we see someone that messed up, let's pick them up. Let's help them. Let's find out why they're doing what they're doing. Let's ask God, God, am I wrong? Before we go out and lash out and hurt our brother and our sister. I have this friend on Facebook that drives me nuts. Everybody has a friend like that, right, on Facebook that just annoys you. Um, and uh, this guy, every time I post anything on Facebook, he like sends me a Bible verse. Hey, you know, that's wrong. You know, and this week, I just couldn't take it anymore, and uh, I posted this thing about Steve Jobs, a quote that Steve Jobs wrote, you know, he passed away, kind of like a little thing in honor of him, something I liked, and he writes back and he goes, what happened to my godly friend? You know, what God are you worshiping? Why are you quoting Steve Jobs? He's in hell. You should be quoting Jesus. And then he quotes all these Bible verses, and man, I, I couldn't take it anymore, so I responded to him, and I said, hey, dude. I'm the same guy, same God, and here's the thing. One day, we're going to see Jesus face to face, and I hope he's a lot happier than you. And, and then at the end, I kind of sweetened it up, and I said, hey, next time I see you, I'm going to give you a big hug and a big wet kiss. P.S. Stop messaging me. All right? What I really wanted to do was stop following him and unfriend him and report him to the Facebook police, but that wouldn't be the godly thing to do, right? Hey, there's so many bitter people, all right? And, and every time that they see something that they don't like, they're so, they're like ready to start criticizing, ready to start knocking down. And let's not be a part of that. Let's not put ourselves in a position where we would get tangled up in that web. And that's the third thing that I, I want you guys to write down. Refuse to listen to gossip. 
I'm not saying don't gossip because you guys know already that gossiping is a sin, right? I'm saying refuse to listen to gossip. Proverbs 20 says this, a gossip goes around telling secrets, so don't hang around with chatterers. Hey, most of us are from a Latin background, so this is tough, all right? This is hard for us because everybody likes a good achievement. Everybody likes good, a good gossip. Hey, you know what? Did you hear what happened with so-and-so? Wait a minute. Let me sit down. All right? You dim the lights a little bit, grab un cafecito, and you're like, you know, you grab a little coffee and you sip. You want to hear it. You know, you turn the radio down, silence your phone. That, it's in our nature. I don't know if it's the rice and beans. I don't know what it is. But we, we like that. All right? We have to refuse to listen to gossip. You're like, oh, I don't gossip. I don't talk bad about anybody. But then someone comes. People want to talk to me. If someone comes to tell you something that's gossip, say, hey, you know what? I don't want anything to do with this. Please don't talk to me about it. If you're my friend, if you care about me, please don't tell me. Because I want to know. All right? Be honest with them. Say, I want to know. But don't tell me because it's not the right thing. All right? You know that in America, it's, it's, a, it's, it's illegal to have something that's stolen in your house or in your car, all right? So if you have a computer that fell off a truck and it's in your house, you're as guilty as the guy that picked it up after it fell off the back of the truck, all right? So, like, the police can come to your house and probably arrest you for doing that. And that's the same thing that happens when we listen to gossip. We didn't steal it, but we hate. We're surfing the web on it, all right? So refuse to run from someone that gossips. That's what Solomon tells us in Proverbs. Number four... This is something that we need to do, and I would encourage all of you, if you never keep an outline that we've given you, keep this one, because you need number four. This is something you need to put in your office, at home, all right? Resolve conflict biblically. We're human. We're going to mess up. There'll probably be a day when you have a problem with me, all right? There'll be a day when you have a problem with your brother and sister, the person you're sitting next to today. It's normal. But when that happens, resolve it biblically. And Matthew gives us a perfect, like, one, two, three step with dealing with conflict. It says, if a fellow believer hurts you, go and tell him. Work it out between the two of you. It doesn't say, email Pastor Mark. If someone, it doesn't say that. I, I didn't see it. It says, go to the person and deal with it. And then it says, if he doesn't listen, because that happens. And Jesus knew that there would be times when people aren't going to listen, okay? So if he doesn't listen the first time, if he listens, you've made a friend. If he doesn't listen, take one or two others. So, so then the presence of witnesses will keep things honest. All right? So that's step two. If he doesn't listen, then bring someone else. And then the third, if you try and it doesn't work, then tell the church. All right? So the third step, if they still don't want to listen, then email Pastor Mark and ask him if he can meet with the two of you. Or email someone else in, in the church staff or leadership. And then bring the church into it. This is how Jesus wants us to resolve conflict. Hey, if you're a parent out there, I know that I would love this. Whenever your kids fight, wouldn't you love it if like, you know, oh my, he hit my finger. This is like daily I hear this. He hit my finger. And it's like, why don't you tell him that it hurts not to hit your finger again? And they would just solve it amongst themselves and keep playing? Wouldn't that make our lives easier? You know, those of you that are bosses, oh, this guy, he just stares at me all day. It's like, that's what you're wasting my time with? With that? Can't you just tell him don't stare at me anymore? I mean, this is what people fight about. And man, if we would just say, hey, I have a problem with you, let's figure it out. We love each other. We're Christians. Can, can we figure this out? And I believe that if we obey God's word, things are going to work out. The fifth thing that we need to do 
is we need to stand by our pastors and by our leaders. God calls us to stand by our pastors and stand by our leaders. Here in the book of Hebrew, chapter 13, it says, Be responsive to your pastoral leaders. Listen to their counsel. They are alert to the condition of your lives and work under the strict supervision of God. Hey, if you're a member, you come here to Calvary Fellowship, this is like your way, your ticket to like, don't worry about it. Because you know what? If your pastor or your leader does something that is wrong, who do they answer to? The strict supervision of God. And I, I've read through the New Testament and the Old Testament, and there's a lot of people that did wrong stuff, and you know what God does to them? Boom, and they're out. All right? And so your pastors, your leaders, if there's something that you don't agree with, talk to them about it. If not, say, God, you know what? I'm going to stand by them. And I'm going to trust that you are in control. As a pastor and a leader here in this church, there's nothing that blesses our church or me more than when there is a servant of God that stands beside me and helps me serve God's people, helps me minister to God's people. And hey, if I do something that's maybe not right or that they don't understand, you don't know how encouraged I get when they come next to me. Hey, man, I don't understand this. Can we talk about it? I'm so blessed by that. Then hearing, hey, I heard Mark did this. It's so awesome when my brothers come up to me and just share with me. You know, I also have the privilege of, of being under the leadership of our senior pastor, Bob, and, and I've been doing it for 11 years, shoulder to shoulder, and I am honored to stand next to a man that is fearful of God. I, I spend normal time with Bob, hanging out, vacationing. We, and he is a man, the same guy that you see on here is the same guy that you see on the park with his kids or having dinner at his home. An honest man that loves the Lord. And I am blessed to stand by my pastor and stand by my leaders. You know why it's so important that we are unified as one body in the world, as Christians, that we are together and that we are together here in our church because right now, Calvary Fellowship stands before one of the most important moments in our history. And yeah, it's what we've been calling the Blueprint Campaign. A few weeks ago, Pastor Bob stood before us all and said, Hey, it is time that our church has a place that we call our own. Amen? Yeah. And we've been portable for 11 years and God has done some amazing stuff. We've seen so many people get saved, so many people just involved in what God is doing here. But now it's time for this vision to become a reality. And here's the thing. Here's the crazy thing, that it's going to happen. This blueprint campaign, Calvary having a church building, it's going to happen. But the question today is, are you going to be a part of what God is going to do? You see, and there's probably people out there that think, you guys are out of your mind. There's no way that you can do this. Mark, don't you know that, that you know, we're in a recession right now? How is it that we're going to raise all this money? How are we going to get this? You guys are crazy. You know who else was crazy according to people? Nehemiah. People thought he was crazy, a pretty boy from Babylon going to build a wall. People said Noah was crazy. People said that Jesus was crazy. And so we stand here today among the mightiest of men. And somebody saying, Pastor Mark, I'm just so strapped right now. You know what? I think the people that are strapped right now are the ones that probably are going to get the biggest blessing because you guys are really going to sacrifice to be a part of what God is doing. You have the opportunity to sit down with your husband or your wife and your kids and say, hey, you know what? God needs a house in our community. And I don't know how we're going to do it, but we're going to do it together. We have 15 
15 months to do this. And we are going to do it together. Maybe you're single. Hey, Mark, you know, but I'm single. You know what? Get together with some of your single friends that are broke, just like and say, hey, you know what? I have no idea how we're going to do this, but we are going to do it together. We're going to figure it out, and we are going to be a part of this. And this is why I'm so passionate about this, because I believe in a year or two, one day, I'm going to pull up to Calvary Fellowship with my kids, and I'm going to say, we built this church. People are getting saved in this church. Because we sacrificed to build it. Marriages are coming back together because we sacrificed to build this church. I, I couldn't just write a check and say, hey, here, you know, and I'm, I jump on my plane and, and fly away. No, this is a sacrifice that we're making. I know that lives are going to be saved from eternal damnation because we made a sacrifice in my home. And I don't want you guys to miss that opportunity to unite as one and make a difference. Make a difference for God. See, today God is calling us to be united as brothers and sisters in Christ. He's calling us to be united as a church and not allow the devil to bring division among us. He's also challenging us challenging us to be united and be a part of the Blueprint campaign. And the last thing that Jesus wants, that God wants for us, is for us to be united with Him in every step of our life. Not just on Sunday morning, not just when it's easy, but when you get invited to that party, when you're driving in the beach, when you're going to work, when you're sitting down and doing business deals, that you are united with Him all of the time. See, at the end of Nehemiah, in verse 13, the children of Israel, the next day, okay, these guys stood up for six hours, and they were in church. We've been here for like, I don't know, almost an hour, and some of you are already thinking like, man, I'm hungry, you know? The bubble gum doesn't have any flavor anymore. What do I do with it? All right, these guys were standing up for six hours, and then they went home, and they came back the next day and said, can you keep reading? Can you keep talking to us about God? Can you keep reading this, Bible, this book of the law that we haven't read or heard for years and years? And Ezra begins reading Leviticus 23, and they're blown away because they hear about a festival, a feast, okay, a party that they hadn't been celebrating. And we all enjoy, when we were in high school, all the Jewish holidays that we didn't have to go to school, okay? This is one of those holidays, all right? This festival, it's called the Festival of Tabernacles. This is a feast that they hadn't celebrated for hundreds of years, since the days of Joshua. And you're thinking, Mark, you're really excited about this feast, but what is it? What's the Feast of Tabernacles? And here's, here's what it is. It's a festival that God wanted his children to celebrate so that they could remember the day that he took them out of Egypt. So that they could remember the years that they were wandering in the desert aimlessly. And God provided for them every single day. Because he knew that once they entered the promised land and they were in the land of milk and honey, that they would forget, all right, years and years later about how God provided for them. And he's like, I want you to celebrate this every year for seven days. And one of the, the focal points of this festival is that they would build this booth. Okay, it's like a tent, similar to how they lived in the desert. And they would build it on top of their house or in front of their house or in the courtyard. Wherever they had space, they built this booth and they'd live in it for seven days. But one of the coolest things that would happen 
in this booth, one of the first things that they would do on the first day is that they would break bread together. They would eat together. And you're thinking like, oh, okay, so they're eating. Hey, in biblical times, when you sat down and shared a meal with someone, that meant that reconciliation was happening. If a family had a problem during the year, they were fighting when this Feast of Tabernacles came, that everybody was to eat inside of that booth. That meant that mom and dad weren't fighting anymore. That meant that dad and, and his brother weren't fighting anymore. That meant that children and their parents weren't arguing anymore. It was also a picture. Hey, there was also reconciliation happening with God. Unity with God, unity in the family, unity in the church. We saw that first verse of Nehemiah 8, a church united. And the last thing, unity with God. And the one thing that they were commanded also in this festival is to be joyful, be happy, be happy. Stop being sad, stop suffering, stop bickering, be happy. Nehemiah 8.17 says that there was very great gladness hey these guys were so happy in the same way that the feast of tabernacles is a time to remember god's greatness remember god's provision jesus also gave us a command a command to have communion together and i'm going to ask the band to come out and and we are going to share communion as a family we're going to share of this meal this representation of the last supper together united as one. And hey, maybe you're here and, and you, have some, you have a problem with someone in your family. You have a problem with one of your kids. You have a problem with your wife. You have a problem with your ex-wife, with a brother, with your parents. Whatever it is, you know what? God is calling you to be an agent of love, an agent of unity. God is calling you to not just have unity in your home, in your church, with your family. God is have, calling you to be someone that brings unity at your job where you work. Think about that. Oh, Mark, but you don't know my boss. He is such a jerk. I can't stand him. Let me tell you something. That jerk pays you every week. And because of that jerk, you could pay your mortgage and you could buy stuff for your family. You could put gas in your car. So maybe that jerk isn't such a jerk. Oh, no, but Mark, he is such a jerk. Could it be that God has you in that position so that you can be a light? So everybody treats this person bad. Everyone talks bad about this person. Yet you're a Christian in this crazy environment, and you're not doing it. And one day your boss comes up to you and says, Hey, nobody likes me here, but for some reason you're always nice to me, even when I know that I'm a jerk. How come? And bam. God puts you, puts you in the perfect place to share His love. Sometimes we don't understand the circumstances that we're in. We don't understand why things are happening in our life, and we're like, we have the perfect excuse to not do what God asked us to do. Mark, i got to defend myself. Mark, i got to stand up for myself. You have to stand up for what God calls you to do in His Word, which is to love, which is to be united which is to be one. You know why that wall was built in the middle of the, de of the desert? Because all around Israel, there was people that were worshiping crazy things, sacrificing people, killing each other, doing the craziest and most pagan things that you can ever imagine. And God said, right there in the middle of it all, I want my people 
to live and build a home so that they could be a light in that dark world. And today, we are his people. And God has put us here to be a light. God has put us here to always love, regardless of the situation. Amen? So, we're going to dim the lights and... And I want us to just spend some time with God, talk to God, say, God, I'm sorry I messed up. That's the awesome thing about God. He still has a vision for your life, regardless of where you find yourself right now. And maybe right now there's like this little movie playing of all the bad stuff you've done or bad thoughts you've had. And that's the devil that's trying to bring division. That's trying to mess you up. God wants to do amazing things in your life regardless of what has happened. Let Him do it. Worship God. Pray. Then I invite you to come up and grab the elements, the bread and the wine and go back to your seats and just wait for a moment. And uh, we're going to partake together. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take it, eat it, eat this, my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus' body was broken so that his people would be united. And so we stand and we sit here today in fellowship, in communion. And we celebrate what God did for us, what Jesus did for us on the cross of Calvary. He gave it all. He gave his life so that his people would be one. Thank you, Jesus. Let's partake of the bread together. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink in remembrance of me. And Jesus, we thank you for your blood that washes us of our shame and our sin. Thank you that because of that, God can look straight at us and see us as white as snow. Thank you, Jesus. Let's drink together. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. And dear God, We come before you today, united as one in you. The most amazing thing that we have in common. And you're so big and so awesome that it just covers the differences that we may have. And I pray that we would stay focused on you. And as long as we have our sight on the light of the world, all the little mistakes that humans make is just going to be blurred out by you, God. Help us love our brother. Help us love our sister. 
unconditionally the way you love us. In Jesus' name we pray and everyone says, Amen. Praise the Lord.